the Holy Spirit. This is number six in this series, and it is entitled, The Sealing and the Sealer. Before we plunge into the deep chapters of Revelation regarding the sealing of God's people, let us first seek God in prayer. Dear Father, as we discuss this soon coming crisis in which every saint of God will experience a personal Gethsemane, please guide us in this study by thy Holy Spirit, that we may be prepared to be sealed and be able to stand unafraid before Babylon's decree of extermination. For we ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Now let us turn to Scripture for the basis of our study. And I am going to read from Revelation, the fifth chapter, verses 1 to 4. And I saw in the right hand of him that sat on the throne a book written within, and on the backside sealed with seven seals. And I saw a strong angel proclaiming with a loud voice, who is worthy to open the book and to loose the seals thereof? And no man in heaven, nor in earth, neither under the earth, was able to open the book, neither to look thereon. And I wept much. Let us focus our thoughts on those words I wept much. Good old tender-hearted John the Revelator had seen a scroll sealed with seven seals. John perceived that this scroll contained information that was vital to the welfare of the Christian church, especially the remnant. And in sympathy, he opened a floodgate of tears by weeping much. What was it that the remnant needed so desperately to know in order to understand the meaning of the seals? According to Revelation 14, those who commit high treason against the government of God and receive the mark of the beast must drink the wine of the wrath of God poured out into the cup of his indignation. But Revelation, the seventh chapter, tells us that those sealed with the seal of the living God will, as a part of their reward, serve their Lord in his heavenly temple. I'm reading Revelation 7, verse 4. <clears throat> and I heard the number of them which were sealed, and there were sealed a hundred and forty and four thousand of all the tribes of the children of Israel. Reading verse 13, And one of the elders answered, saying unto me, 
What are these which are arrayed in white robes? And whence came they? And I said unto him, Sir, thou knowest. And he said to me, These are they which came out of great tribulation, and have washed their robes, and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. Now let's go back to the sealed scroll. A burst of song accompanied the announcement that the lion of the tribe of Judah had prevailed to unlock this mysterious scroll. But when John looked to see the lion, he sees a lamb as our high priest pleading his blood in our behalf. Notice the words, Revelation 7, verse 9. And they sung a new song, saying, Thou art worthy to take the book and to open the seals thereof, for thou wast slain and hast redeemed us to God by thy blood out of every kindred and tongue and people and nation. And someday soon, Jesus as the lion will ride down the corridors of the sky to execute the vengeance of God upon the finally impenitent. But just now, Jesus is yearning for your friendship today. Oh, how he loves you. But those who reject his love develop an enmity toward him. And Jesus cannot take a vowed enemy to heaven. The choice belongs to you. Your decision determines his attitude toward you. This is what we read in Psalms 18, verse 25. With the merciful, thou wilt show thyself merciful. And then, and with the forward, thou wilt show thyself forward. In this twilight hour, of Earth's history, men and women must decide whether they will obey God's government and receive his seal or join Satan's rebellion and receive the beast mark. Each government provides its own badge. In Review and Herald, April 23, 1901. The observance of God's rest day, meaning the Sabbath of the fourth commandment, is a mark of distinction between him that serveth God and him that serveth him not. And then again in the Great Controversy, page 449, I read, When Sunday observance shall be observed by law, those who continue in transgression will receive the mark of the beast. Across the centuries of time, 
Isaiah speaks to this generation in Isaiah 8.16. Seal the law among my disciples. Within the Ten Commandments, we find the seal of God with its three identifying elements. One, the name. Two, the title. Three, the jurisdiction. And I'm quoting now, the fourth commandment is the only one of all ten in which are found both the name and the title of the lawgiver. It is the only one that shows by whose authority the law is given. Thus, it contains the seal of God, unquote. That's Patriarchs and Prophets, page 307. The sealing of the believer is a progressive experience beginning with conversion and continues as long as life shall last. The sealing is accomplished by the Holy Spirit. Ephesians 1.13 In whom ye also trusted, after that ye heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also, after that ye believed, and now notice, ye were sealed with that Holy Spirit of promise. But Bible prophecy also speaks of a special sealing, a sealing of the believers just before the close of probation. This is the sealing which involves the Sabbath. Review and Herald, May 28, 1889. In a little while, while everyone who is a child of God will have his seal placed upon him, unquote. Now let's pause to consider the functions of the seal. First, the seal assures the indwelling of the Holy Spirit so that God's character is revealed in our deportment and behavior. Early Writings, page 71. The sealed, notice, quote, must reflect the image of Jesus fully, unquote. And how is this accomplished? Review and Herald, July 28, 1891, quote, As the wax, takes and retains the impressions of the seal. So should the soul take and retain the image of God, the character. The Spirit of God is to be revealed in finite man. Unquote. Number two, the seal is irreversible. Bible Commentary, 4, page 1161. Just as soon as the people of God are sealed in their foreheads, it is not any seal or mark that can be seen, but 
a settling into the truth, both intellectually and spiritually. So they cannot be moved, unquote. Now those words, settling into the truth, call for a close self-examination. For example, am I intelligent regarding the everlasting covenant, the atonement, the judgment our message, Christ our righteousness, health reform, the fellowship of the Holy Spirit. Number three, seals denote ownership. The Lord of the Sabbath claims lordship of observers. I'm reading from Testimony 8, page 198. The Sabbath is a sign of the relationship existing between God and his people, a sign that they are his obedient subjects, that they keep God's holy law. Number four. The seal expresses final approval. Revel Review and Herald, July 8, 1909. Upon those who uphold the principles of the word and who labor faithfully for souls, God will put his seal of approval. Number five. God's seal includes the sanctification of the Spirit. Bible Commentary 7, page 980. The world can only be warned by seeing those who believe the truth sanctified through the truth. The sanctification of the Spirit signalizes the difference between those who have the seal of God and those who keep a spurious rest day. Number six. God's seal denotes perfection of character. Bible Commentary 6, page 1118. Are we seeking the perfection of his character? When the Lord's people reach this mark, they will be sealed in their foreheads, filled with the Spirit. They will be complete in Christ. So now you can understand that the sealing, like sanctification, represents the inner spiritual development, which is made possible by the power of the Holy Spirit. And finally, number seven, the seal denotes abhorrence of sin. This is why we read that the faithful earnestly pray because of their concern of the abominations which exist within the church.
Now let me summarize these seven points with this appeal found in Review and Herald of June 7, 1887. Quote, Brethren, how long before you will be ready for the seal of God? The terrible destruction is forbidden to come in full until the servants of God are sealed. Get ready. Get ready. I beseech you, get ready. For ministers of vengeance will pour terrible judgments upon a God-forsaken people. Unquote. When is this going to happen? First Selected Messages, page 66. The living righteous will receive the seal of God prior to the close of probation. Unquote. Did you notice? First Selected Messages, page 111. Before the work is closed up, and the sealing of God's people is finished, we shall receive the outpouring of the Spirit of God. In Bible Commentary 7, page 976, I read the image of the beast. Now this calls for an explanation, which means that the union of church and state in the United States, which will result in a Sunday law and a revival of the kind of persecutions waged against the dissenters during the medieval ages. Now let me read it. Quote, the image of the beast will be formed before probation closes. This is the test that the people of God must have before they are sealed. You know, there are some living today as if they believe that church membership ensures them of salvation. But don't forget that Satan, before his fall, enjoyed church leadership. In Bible Commentary 7, page 6969, the Lord would teach men the lesson that though united in church capacity, he is not saved until the seal of God is placed upon him. Now, nothing could be more plainly stated than what I have just read. God will not put his seal upon his people until he can trust them utterly. So the sealed must stand test both before and after probation closes. They will be tried in every conceivable way, including the threat of death. In Testimonies 3, page 267, mark this point with care. Those who receive the pure mark of truth wrought in them 
by the power of the Holy Ghost are those that sigh and that cry for all the abominations that be done in the church. Unquote. The remnant must also prepare the world for the impending crisis. Our lives must testify to the sacredness of the Sabbath. We must experience the deep movings of the Holy Spirit. Ellen White saw this experience in a vision and she testified, quote, We were filled with the Holy Ghost as we went forth and proclaimed the Sabbath more fully. Early Writings, page 33. Soon, the Sabbath Sunday issue will be headlines in all the news. The Spirit of God will arouse every religious body on the face of this earth, Christian and non-Christian. Believe me, a terrible conflict is coming. The responsibilities frighten us. But a still greater crisis awaits the saints. Are we sealed? Have we so lived that the Holy Spirit has placed the seal of the living God upon us? In order to fully comprehend this life and death issue, we must review the four Babylons. The first. Number one, the first Babylonian kingdom began with the Tower of Babel. Nimrod was inspired by Satan to unify the whole world in rebellion against the God of heaven. This led to the building of the first skyscraper, which Satan hoped to make his throne. Here we find the first example of using the power of the majority to defy God. Using the means of ecumenical power. I'm reading Genesis 11:4, and they said, Go to. Let us build us a city and a tower whose top may reach unto heaven. And let us make us a name, lest we be scattered abroad upon the face of the whole earth. But when God used his powerful force of the lightning, the tower tumbled down, and the language became mumbo-jumbo, and earth's inhabitants scattered. This brings us to number two, the second kingdom of Babylon. This was under the rulership of Nebuchadnezzar. Daniel 4.30 The king spake and said, Is not this great Babylon, which I have built for the house of the kingdom by my might and of my power and for the honor of 
my majesty? Nebuchadnezzar's unholy ambition was to rule men's soul as well as their body. Satan inspired Nebuchadnezzar to defy God. He built an image entirely of gold, contrary to the dream God gave that his kingdom would end. Then he sent out a decree that all the world must worship his image or be cast into the fiery furnace. This image was as high as a ten-story building of our day and would provide the pattern for all the cities of the world to follow. His ecumenism allowed no exception. Satan would force all to forsake God or be cremated in the furnace. But God delivered his three faithful believers. Religious despotism always tries to force obedience. On the other hand, the Spirit of God never uses pressure, economic sanction, or police state methods to force the conscience. Number three. This brings us to Papal Babylon. The prophet Daniel foresaw the rise of this persecuting power. We read about it in the book of Daniel, how the little horn, and I'm quoting, would make war with the saints and would wear out the saints of the Most High. Daniel 7, 21 and 25. This 1260 year reign was from 538 B.C. to 1798 A.D. It was a religious superpower shedding the blood of millions. Again, God had to intervene to stop this diabolical power. You read of this in Matthew 24, 22. And except those days should be shortened, there should no flesh be saved. But for the elect's sake, those days shall be shortened. And how did God accomplish this? He shortened the papal power by the Protestant Reformation. This brings us to number four. And finally, we come to the fourth Babylon, Protestantism. Now follow me closely. The Spirit-inspired Christ centered Bible-based people of the Reformation might have become God's spiritual bride. But in 1844, the bride turned away from her lover. The thought that the bridegroom might come distressed the nominal churches. They didn't want a marriage. 
They had other interests. And what were the results? As time continued, Protestantism substituted evolution for the creation story. Their higher criticism cast doubt on the virgin birth. And their modernism and liberalism denied the inspiration of the Bible. But since man is incurably religious, Protestantism is now beginning to deify government. A union of church and state is now in the making as the religious right joins with the Catholic power. John on Patmos saw this one world church in which Protestantism would wonder after papal Babylon and eventually join with her to become a part of Babylon. Notice how clearly this is prophesied in Revelation 13, 3, 4, 7, and 8. And I saw one of his heads, as it were, wounded to death. And his deadly wound was healed. And all the world wondered after the beast. And they worshipped the dragon, which gave power unto the beast. And they worshipped the beast, saying, who is like unto the beast? Who is able to make war with him? And it was given unto him to make war with the saints and to overcome them. And power was given over all kindreds and tongues and nations. And all that dwell upon the earth shall worship him whose names are not written in the book of life, of the Lamb slain from the foundation of the world. Now this union of church and state is now developing, and soon an unscriptural day of worship will be offered to the people. And when it happens, we can expect a reincarnation of papal Babylon. Ecumenism, now applauded by the Adventist hierarchy, will soon turn with a vengeance to persecute and any dissenter who would dare to keep holy God's seventh-day Sabbath. Apostasy will increase until these fallen ecclesiastical bodies will become totally Babylon. Revelation 18.2 And he cried mightily with a strong voice, saying, Babylon, the greatest fallen, is fallen, and is become the habitation of devils, and the hold of every foul spirit, and a cage of every unclean and hateful bird.
the spirit of intolerance will displace liberty. Those filled with the Holy Spirit will discern this and alert the entire world. Revelation 18.4 And I heard another voice from heaven saying, Come out of her, my people, that ye be not partakers of her sins, and that ye receive not of her plagues. Divine power will attend this message. The entire world will be enlightened with God's glory. God in his mercy will not leave the popular churches unwarned. He will have a qualified people to give a faithful warning by the unction of his spirit. And look what will happen in Great Controversy, page 606 to 610 are these words. The sins of Babylon will be laid open. The stealthy but rapid progress of the papal power all will be unmasked. Thousands upon thousands will listen who have never heard words like these. In amazement, they hear the testimony that Babylon is the church. The power attending the message will only madden those who oppose it. In this time of persecution, the faith of the Lord's servants will be tried. God's Spirit, moving upon their hearts, has constrained them to speak. Christ's ambassadors have nothing to do with the consequences. The contest grows closer and sharper. Unquote. The results are certain. Early writings, page 279. Souls that were scattered all through the religious bodies answered the call and the precious were hurried out of the doomed churches. God could have used any one of the Protestant churches in 1844. He didn't need others. But Protestantism in 1844 grieved the Holy Spirit. Thus, the remnant church was born. <clears throat> in Revelation 12, 16 to 17. And the earth helped the woman, and the earth opened her mouth, and swallowed up the flood which the dragon cast out of his mouth. And the dragon was wroth with the woman, and went to make war with the remnant of her seed which keep the commandments of God and have the testimony of Jesus Christ. Thus, prophecy predicts that the four Babylons will have persecuted God's chosen people and for some six millenniums the devil has used these powers to fight God's church. And now... In the end time, <clears throat> Satan plans more terror. Ellen White was given a vision of Satan's assemblies 
in which Satan discusses his final strategy. Let me read it to you. Testimonies to Ministers, page 473. Satan is speaking. Quote, Our principal concern is to silence this sect of Sabbath keepers. The Sabbath <coughs> which I have set up shall be enforced by laws the more severe. We led the Romish church to inflict imprisonment, torture, and death. And then Satan goes on to tell his followers how that Protestant churches will cooperate with him, and he proceeds, quote, We will finally have a law to exterminate all who will not submit to our authority. When death shall be made the penalty of violating our Sabbath, then many who are now ranked with commandment keepers will come over to our side. Unquote. Satan plans to do this before probation closes. He is using every means, every wind of doctrine, to unsettle the faith of God's commandment keepers, to recruit them to his side. And he will go so far as to employ death as his weapon. But those sealed with the seal of the living God will demonstrate to the universe, and I'm quoting, that humanity combined with divinity does not commit sin. Unquote. Ministry of Healing, page 180. Nothing in the past history of this world has ever generated the intensity that will flare up as the coming Sabbath Sunday crisis. Sabbath keepers will suffer the most stringent economic sanctions ever planned by Satan. The hatred of Babylon the Great and her daughters will demand that all who will not worship the image of the beast should be killed, as you read in Revelation 13:15. Before probation closes, some of God's children will suffer martyrdom rather than yield to their faith. Church and state will combine to suspend, suspend religious liberty which we have all enjoyed. The faithful will be harassed and driven from society. Christ's faithful will inhabit earth's desolate wastes. But thank God, no martyr's blood will flow during the seven last plagues. Empowered by the Holy Spirit, the time has arrived when God's people must offer the love, the joy, and the peace to the world which we have discovered in God's heavenly sanctuary.
sanctuary. Having finally attained to perfect characters by the power of God, we shall be able to stand the searching test of the judgment. Thus, we shall openly proclaim God's presence in the most holy place, in a judgment hour message, and the glorious second coming. And His Holy Spirit will provide the flame of the living fire. Oh, for that flame of living fire, which shone so bright in saints of old, which bade their souls to heaven aspire, calm and distress, in danger bold. Where is that spirit, Lord, which dwelt in Abram's breast and sealed him thine, which made Paul's heart with sorrow melt and glow with energy divine. That spirit which from age to age proclaimed thy love and taught thy ways, brightened Isaiah's vivid page and breathed in David's hallowed lays. Is not thy grace as mighty now as when Elijah felt its power? When glory beamed with Moses from Moses' brow, or Job endured the trying hour? Remember, Lord, the ancient days. Renew thy work, thy grace restore. And while to thee our hearts we raise, on us, thy Holy Spirit, pour. Let us pray. Dear God, fill, fill us and pour out thy Holy Spirit upon us in a mighty drenching of the latter rain that we may quickly finish the task. For we want to go home with thee we're tired of this old world of sin. Come. Oh, come, Lord Jesus, come. Amen. And now, let us listen to the words of the following song and determine to make them a part of our everyday life. Listen as Sonny Lou sings for us in the garden. I come to the garden alone, while the dew is still on the roses, and the
Na na na. 